Welcome to the Community Fellowship Podcast, your way to stay connected with biblically-themed messages, discussions, and interviews from Community Fellowship in East Bernard, Texas. Learn more about our church at the cfeb.church website, check us out on social media at CF East Bernard, or attend an in-person service at 635 Main Street in East Bernard. We are a local church that works to make the love of Christ for all humanity known to our community and the world. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this week's content. Well, the pastor of a small country church decided to sit in on children's Sunday school one morning. And so he got all situated with the kids and he was ready to about ask a question. And so he starts out and he says, why did Jesus have to die on the cross? And Danny, a little six-year-old boy, shoots his hand up immediately. The pastor was super excited. He's like, all right, we're getting some engagement here. I'm excited to see what he's going to answer. Okay, this is going to be really good. It's going to be profound. And so he says, Danny, why did Jesus have to die on the cross? And young Danny, super excited, says, because his dad told him he had to do it. <laughs> well, we are right in the middle of a series where we're walking through the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and we've been going line by line through Jesus's prayer uh, that he taught his disciples, uh, trying to learn from each moment of, those, of that prayer exactly how we ourselves are supposed to pray. And so once again, we're going to be in Matthew's gospel. I told you that we're going to memorize this thing. If you haven't had it already, we're going to memorize it. So if you'll turn with me, we're going to be in Matthew's gospel, chapter 6. We're going to read again, starting in verse 9. So let's read this together. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. All right, so, so far, we have looked at the first two lines of Jesus' model prayer. And I want to stop just for a second right there and kind of reiterate that very idea. This idea that this is a model prayer. Jesus never intended for us to just memorize this and regurgitate this prayer. Again, there's nothing wrong with that, like we just read. There's nothing wrong with that. But that wasn't Jesus' intention and his heart behind giving us this prayer. It was to model for us what our own prayer lives should look like. And so he was teaching the disciples how he prayed so that they also would be able to pray. And so, so far, like I said, we've looked at these first two lines and we've seen, first of all, that prayer is an intimate relationship that we have with God as our Father. We are his children we long to and love to come before him. He longs and loves for us to come into his presence in prayer. So we have this intimate relationship. But then last week, we looked at this idea that it's also positional. Not only do we have this intimate relationship with God as our Father, but we also have a positional relationship where God is supposed to be hallowed in our life. He's supposed to be holy and set apart in all of our life, in every area, in every facet of our life. This is who God is supposed to be in us. And this morning, we're going to look at that next phrase in Jesus's prayer when he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth 
as it is in heaven. But here's the thing. It's one of the things that's difficult for us as Westerners, and I probably even more specifically as Americans, is this idea of kingship and kingdoms. We are a democracy and we are proud of it, right? We don't understand this idea of what it means to have a king or to be part of a kingdom. Monarchy is not part of our lexicon or our vocabulary, correct? Uh, but yet at the time of Jesus' teaching, it would have been intimately familiar with the Israelites, the main people that Jesus is coming to speak to. It would have been intimately uh, important and, and real to them because they understood what it was like to have a king and a kingdom. In fact, before Jesus comes on the scene, for seven, before the 700 years um, before Jesus comes on the scene is the first time in Israel's history where they hadn't had a kingdom. Well, I shouldn't say that. They had gone with leaders before that, but they had been a nation that had kings and a kingdom for a very long time. And in fact, even when Jesus does come on the scene, there's a king, King Herod. But King Herod's rule is a lot more like what we would probably say like the British monarchy, right? It's kind of just for show. It's just that pretty face, right? Um, that was kind of Herod's kingdom as well, because Rome was actually the ones who had conquered and subjugated that area. And so Rome was the one who was leading and uh, over as a government over the people of Israel in the land of Israel, okay? But again, it wasn't the case that they always were led by a king. Israel, in the very beginning of their nation, as a history as a nation, they had been led by various leaders. You might remember that Moses and Joshua that they led the, led the people of Israel as kind of this um, military, victorious leadership. And then when they got into Canaan, into the land of Israel, then Israel is led by judges during the time of judges. And these were people that God would raise up for a specific time uh, to kind of help his people come out of some um, idolatry that they were in. And they would lead them for a little while. But the plan was never for there to be a, a leader per se over Israel outside of God. But Israel, at the very last judge, Samuel, they come to Samuel and say, we want a king. In fact, I want to read it to you. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 8, starting in verse 5. This is what they say to Samuel. They said to him, again, to Samuel, this is the leader of Israel, leadership of Israel is coming to Samuel, and they say this to Samuel. You're old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. Now listen, God sometimes gives his people what they want, even if it's not what he wants. And that's exactly what happens here, okay? So listen, let's keep on reading. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It's not you they've rejected, but they've rejected me, as their king. And they've done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. So there's so much that we could truthfully unpack, and I did a little bit. There's so much more that I could truthfully unpack out of that, but what I really want for us to see is I want for us to see this disheartened God, who wanted to be the king of his people, and his people wanted another king. And we can't actually blame Israel. We can't get mad at them because we do the same thing. 
Again, we are strong, patriotic Americans, right? We love our democracy. We love the idea that we get to be part of appointing our leadership because we like being in control of our own life. We like being in control of our own futures. That's part of who we are as independent Americans. Yet, Jesus in this prayer, in fact, this is the central line of the prayer, the central line of all of the Sermon on the Mount is the the words we're looking at today. And Jesus in his prayer, he ixnays this idea that we like our own independence. He's ixnaying this idea. So, So let's look at these words. Let's look at them carefully. First thing it says is your kingdom. Now let me reread that. Your kingdom. Now, throughout the rest of the prayer, we have seen Jesus use pronouns that are plural. Our Father, our daily bread, our sin. This is the only part in the prayer where he uses singular pronoun, and the pronoun is your, speaking to God of God, your kingdom. So, This petition, this ask of Jesus is saying this is about God's kingdom and not our own. But far too many times, we said this before, far too many times our prayer life is my kingdom come, my will be done. God, what I want, make it happen. Let it happen. Instead of your kingdom, your kingdom. But when we accepted the gracious gift that God gave to us through Christ in salvation, when we accepted that truth and we said, you are the only one who can pay the sin debt that I owed. My sin had separated me from God. Jesus, your death is the only thing that can now bring me into relationship with God. When we accepted that truth and we accepted that salvation, we didn't just trust that so that we could could gain something right? It wasn't just like that. When we trusted that sacrifice, we aren't just saved from something, we're saved to something. The something that we were saved from is our sin and death. The thing that we're saved to is exactly what Jesus is saying here, is to a king and a kingdom. And I just want to stop and emphasize this, okay? We are Christians first, if you have recognized Jesus and what he has done for you and the salvation that he offers, I am not anti-America. I'm grateful to be in this nation. But I want you to hear me say this. We are Christians first. We belong to a king and a kingdom and then our nation. Okay? King and a kingdom. His kingdom. Your kingdom, God. And the language of God's kingdom is littered throughout the New Testament, specifically in the Gospels, and even when Jesus begins his ministry. When Jesus begins his ministry, he declares that he is preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. And Jesus is preaching about the rule and reign of God in the lives of those who would follow Jesus. And some of us, we've got this notion that we can just be believers. Well, I I just believe. This is a very unbiblical idea. See, to believe in Christ was to follow. If you believed in Christ, you followed Christ. And to follow Christ was to submit to him and his teachings as king. 
That's just the way it was. In fact, in the earliest church, the very earliest creed that the church had was Jesus is Lord. That's the earliest confession that the church made. Jesus is Lord. And that Greek word for Lord is the word kyrios. It was the same exact word used of Caesar. In fact, it got a lot of the early church into trouble. Even those who weren't Jewish, those who were actually uh, Gentiles, would get in trouble because when they were declaring that, when they were saying that as the creed for their life, that Jesus is my king, not Caesar, then they found that they were under a lot of persecution. They would be crucified, they'd be tortured, even later on they'd be burned at the stake because of their devotion to Jesus as their king. In his book, uh, Radical, author David Platt shares two experiences uh, of just a few weeks apart of two different churches. The first church is a church uh, full of Indian pastors who have come together. They've walked for miles in the blistering heat to come and to share what God's doing in their communities. Uh, And each one of them, as they started sharing what God was doing in their communities, they brought up how their people were being persecuted just for gathering together to read God's word. And so as they shared this one by one, they decided we need to spend some time in prayer. And so they began to pray before the Lord and in this posture of just gratitude and humility, they're crying and weeping, bringing up the people in their church who have been persecuted, but at the same time thankful to God for what was going on and how God was moving in their church. And, and, and Platt says that he was just humbled as these men, they rose from this prayer circle and there was a, just a huge circle of tears that had soaked the ground. And then three weeks later, he's being ushered into his church as a lead pastor in Birmingham, Alabama. And there's balloons, there's bounce houses for the kids, there's the smell of coffee filling the room, and people are driving up in their Hummers and their Escalades, and just this excitement about their new pastor being there. And he said, you just could tell there's such a stark difference. Now, again, I, I, I want to make sure you understand, I'm not saying that any of those things are around. Balloons are not bad, bouncy houses are not bad, buildings are not bad, okay? But I have to ask myself so often, I have to ask myself, Jesus, am I submitting to what you want me to follow in, or am I succumbing to my culture? Am I succumbing to the ways and the things that our people do around us that are part of our culture, or am I following you, Jesus? And so that's my question for you this morning. What parts of your life aren't being given up to Jesus as your king? Is it your dating life? Is it your marriage? Is it raising up your children? Are you submitting that and following Jesus and asking for his kingdom to be done in your life? Because see, when we accept Jesus and we make him king, he's entitled to all of it. Not just the portion that we want to give to him. He gets it all. Okay, so then there's a reality that we need to see in this next part, right? That was just your kingdom. And then now Jesus says, your kingdom come. Now, this is another petition. It's, it's a request. And you might be thinking, okay, wait a second. Wait a second. I thought Jesus' entrance meant that his kingdom has come. But this is almost sounding like it's not here yet. I need to ask for it to come. 
Well, we talked about this during our Advent series, and you may remember this. This is part of Christian theology where we have to recognize this truth of the already yet, already part of the kingdom and the not yet part of the kingdom, right? Jesus has already come. He's inaugurated his kingdom. Kingdom principles, kingdom life, kingdom teaching has already been inaugurated, but there's also this idea that Jesus is going to come back. He's going to come again, and he's going to make all things the way that they're supposed to be. But our prayer, our prayer, when we say your kingdom come, our prayer is that Jesus would come back quickly. That wasn't what you were expecting, was it? When we say your kingdom come, we're asking for Jesus to come back quickly. And this is another really, really hard one for us Westerners, right? Because we're super comfortable. Like when I just, when I shared that, 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 idea of the Indian church and then us as a church, right? Uh, the, the big C church here in America, that's hard. That's really hard for us to, to grasp because we're comfortable. We don't want Jesus to come back yet. Well, just, just wait till I get married. Jesus, can you just hang on till I get married? Or, or Jesus, we're married. We really want kids. Can you just wait until then? And then, oh, you know what though? I really want grandbabies. I really want grandkids. See, we keep on pushing off. But the early church, their longing was for Jesus to come back. They wanted so desperately for him to return. Why? Because he was going to make all things right. Every little injustice. What we're experiencing this morning as we grieve over death, Jesus is going to get rid of that once and for all. So the early church longed for him to return, longed for him to come back and for that kingdom to be here on earth. So when we say your kingdom come, this is what we're pleading for. Jesus, would you return? Come quickly. Don't wait. Make all things right. Take away every injustice that we experience. Jesus, come quickly. Yet as we wait, the next line of Jesus' prayer is so important. Your will be done. As we wait, Jesus, we ask, your will be done. God, help me in the areas of my life, in my relationships, in my positions of authority, wherever I'm at, that you would help me see your will be done in those places. Not my own, Jesus, but yours. Now, thankfully, Jesus not only teaches us to pray this, but Jesus models it as well. See, it wasn't one of those things that we often do as parents, right? Where we're like, hey, do as I say, but not as I do. Jesus modeled this very prayer. And I love the way that 19th century pastor and preacher Charles Spurgeon says it. He says it this way. He taught, he that taught us this prayer used it himself in the most unrestricted sense. When the bloody sweat stood on his face and all the fear and trembling of man in anguish were upon him, he did not dispute the decree of the Father, but bowed his head and cried, Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. When Jesus was in the garden, knowing that he's about to be arrested and suffer at the hands of the Romans and then eventually go to the cross, he doesn't say, God, what I want to happen, let it happen. He models for us this prayer, not what I want, but what you want to happen. Man, what I 
we would just stop holding so tightly to the things that we want. And we would ask that his will be done in our life. God, what you want to happen in my life, let it happen in my life. Maybe you're still confused because you're thinking, okay, well, how do I know what God's will is? How do I understand what God's will is? Well, Jesus boils it down to two things. He makes it simple for us. He knows us. He knows how silly we are. He knows how sometimes we'll go start chasing things and we'll chase all the wrong things. He said, I'm going to boil it down to two. Love God passionately, fervently, wholeheartedly, and love your neighbor as yourself. Everything about God's will is on these two things, that we would love God and that we would love our neighbors as ourselves. Thankfully, God gives us the Holy Spirit to help us through that, to help us to do that very thing. But there's a really good litmus test. It's really easy, right? If you want to know if it's the will of God, all you have to do is ask this question. Does it demonstrate a genuine love for him that honors him and not myself? And does it love another person in truth and grace? If you can say yes to both of those things, it honors him, not myself, and it loves another person in truth and grace, then you can be confident that that is the will of God. Because that's what Jesus says. Now, here's the thing. You're going to know if it's God's will, okay? Like we said, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. So you're not going to have to second guess yourself. If you're living in this intimate relationship with Jesus as your father, you're going to know. Jesus himself says, my sheep hear my voice and they know my sheep hear my voice and they know me. I think I shared this a few months ago, but we, we have a puppy dog named Bear. He is a black lab and he's nine months old. Um, and he is wild and he is crazy and he is a whole bunch of energy that sometimes is really hard to contain. Um, but one of my favorite things is that for, for a while he has been in Katy and we have been here in East Bernard. Okay. And so uh, we will we'll sometimes get on the phone in the morning and we'll FaceTime. And so when we FaceTime and I see him come and plop right beside Emily onto the sofa, I'll start calling his name. I'll be like, bear boy, bear, right? And if you know anything about labs, they get really intent with the way that they look at you. And it's my favorite thing, right? Because he's got his tongue just drooping out of his mouth, just kind of hanging out there, right? And then all of a sudden I say his name and he goes, pulls that tongue in and cocks his head. Right? Why? Because he knows my voice. He knows that it's me. In fact, my girls get a little bit upset because, Dad, he listens to you. He won't listen to us. He listens to you. Why? Because he's my dog. <laughs> right? That's the way our relationship with God works. We know his voice. We do as he asks because we respond to that voice. As God's children, we're going to learn to hear God's voice through the Holy Spirit, as we spend time with him in prayer, and as we read his word, we will recognize the voice of God. Okay, so here's the catch. By asking God to let his will be done in our lives and through us, we are living as representatives of God's kingdom. I said this a minute ago in our prayer, we are kingdom ambassadors. Peter actually calls us kingdom priests. So he says, you are a royal priesthood. So we're kingdom priests. And as followers of Jesus submitted underneath his lordship, our lives are to show the priorities of God's kingdom. 
as Christians, we should look drastically different than the world around us. And it doesn't even matter what culture you go into. You could go into any nation on any continent. Christians should look different than the culture around them because God's kingdom is drastically different than any other kingdom. Think about what Jesus says. Jesus, you know, Jesus, uh, whenever he's teaching, we're kind of taught this as we grew up. We're taught, okay, listen, if you want to be the best of something, if you want to get ahead, you got to kind of step on people. You got to push them out of the way. You got to be first. Think about our athletics for a second. Well, what does Jesus say? If you want to be the greatest in the kingdom of God, you must be the least and the servant of all. Jesus flips it on its head, and that's every culture. There's those little things in every culture that are different. Our culture says, hey, if somebody's wronged you, man, you get back at them. What does Jesus say? If someone strikes you on the right cheek, offer them the other. Jesus' kingdom is so much different. And by following him, by obeying him as our king and living underneath his kingdom authority, we are inviting heaven to enter into earth. When we live in his kingdom, we are inviting him here. And this should be the prayer and the heart of every sin-forgiven Christian, that heaven would invade earth that his mercy, his grace, his compassion, his love, his generosity, his justice would happen here as it happens in heaven. But listen, my friends, as much as we desire that, and as much as we're supposed to be agents of that, until Jesus does return, it's never going to be perfect. Sin will be in this world. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. But our role is to bring heaven into this place here on earth until he returns and makes everything the way that it's supposed to be. We said this, but Jesus modeled for us exactly what this looks like. He modeled what it looked like for heaven to come into earth because he was heaven in earth. He forgave those that others wouldn't. He healed those that others wouldn't even go near or touch. He freed those who were in pain and addiction. He freed them. And ultimately, he gave up his life for them. He surrendered his will to God's so that you and I could be included in his kingdom as his ambassadors. What an incredible model that Jesus is. And if you've trusted in Christ's death, If you've trusted in his resurrection, you have been given this incredible opportunity and responsibility to live as a kingdom ambassador. It's your job. It's your role now. And this morning, I pray that those who've believed would also follow Jesus as king. Don't just be a believer. Be a follower. Be a part of the kingdom. You'd let him be Lord. You'd stop trying to let your own kingdom come but instead through his spirit, you would allow his kingdom to come. Others in here, you, you, you're still, you don't get it, right? Because you keep thinking this, this whole thing, this whole church thing, this whole Jesus thing is just about checking a list. Go to church, check. Give a little on the offering plate, check. Be kind, check. 
That is great for a kind life. But I can tell you this, Jesus didn't call you to a kind life. That's not what he called you to. He called you to a submitted life. To submit to him as Lord. He wants you to experience what lordship, his lordship over your life looks like. And here's what it looks like. It looks like real love, real joy, real freedom. This is what the kingdom of God looks like for your life. That only comes when you make him your king. And maybe today, you need to take that step. I'm about to pray, and as I pray, if that's you, would you ask him to be your king? Ask him to be your Lord. Let's pray. Father, our desire is to be those who can say, your kingdom come, your will be done. God, not ours. Help us to see our Lord. Help us to see our master and our teacher, Jesus, and the example that he gave for us. And help us to live as obedient followers of him as our king. That we too would be able to say the same thing. If you have questions about this week's message, or would like to start a conversation with someone about what it means to walk with Christ, please email pastor at cfeb.church. You can find earlier episodes of our podcast on our website at cfeb.church, where you can also give online to help support community fellowship in our mission to reflect and share Christ's love. We can also be found on many major distribution platforms like Apple Podcasts, where you can subscribe to stay connected. Thank you again for listening. Now go out and love one another like Jesus did.